You're listening to another episode of Cancer Culture. My name is Jackie Cowan, and today we are joined by Tay McEwen. How are you? Hey, good, thanks. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. And it's good to have a fresh face on the podcast. I have, I know most of my guests thus far. So we were introduced via a mutual friend of the name of Maddie Groves. And Maddie mentioned that you have a really interesting story and that you are a large advocate in terms of helping other people who have been affected by cancer. Before we get into things, I want to know a little bit about you and what your story is. And Yeah, too easy. Our story with cancer started back in 2018. That's the year that my dad was diagnosed with a grade four glioblastoma. And I guess like when it rains, it pours. So in 2018, during our Australian swimming championships, on the last day of competition, we were pulled into a side room and team management told us that our grandfather had suddenly passed away. So we were all devastated about that. And that was my dad's dad, Joe. And we thought, okay, like that's our blow done for the year. Like no more bad news. That's the peak of it. And then a couple of months later, dad had been having like quite frequent headaches went in to get checked out after a couple of weeks of bad migraines. You know how men are? They're like, yeah, no, she'll be right. She'll be right. But yeah, finally got checked out. And yeah, like the brain scan lit up basically, grade four glioblastoma. And I remember getting the phone call in the afternoon. I had no idea what that even meant or what it was. So I was frantically Google searching, trying to come up with what was going to happen, what the end result would be. I just wanted to know as much as possible in that short period of time that I had. And then, yeah, we were in for a pretty wild ride. Dad went through all chemo and radiation therapies for two years. And then in 2020, he passed away. So was it yourself and your sister? Did you have any other siblings? Yes. So it's just Kaylee and I, my sister, and then my mum, Sharon, as well. It was a big deal for mum. So like mum and dad were essentially high school sweethearts. They'd both never had any other serious relationships before when they met each other. So for mum, when she lost dad, it was a very lonely time, a very dark time. Um, She was quite lost. Imagine having someone there essentially your whole life and then all of a sudden they're just gone. And I feel, I felt terrible for mum in the beginning obviously she had a lot of years with dad and Kaylee and I much shorter time with dad but yeah it just seemed to hit her really hard I guess she just lost the love of her life and as you can imagine like that would be devastating so it brought us all together so now mum Kaylee and I are like very appreciative for having each other and every time there might be an argument we say oh it's, it's not worth arguing over because in the grand scheme of things that argument's quite small compared to some of the stuff we've just been through so it just brought us a lot of life perspective absolutely and you girls were both or are both swimmers and you would have been swimming at the time is that right yeah so it's actually funny because to a lot of people COVID in 2020 was a massive bad thing but for us it was a really great thing because it meant like shutdown of the pools so we weren't forced to train all the time and everything we did was on our own accord so we were able to just go home I like pretty much left my house on the Gold Coast for two months relocated to the Sunshine Coast for that critical time period where dad was almost about to go into palliative care and during that time 
Kaylee and I were doing runs around the block. We were swimming in the ocean. We were doing like at home, high intensity circuits. So we were actually, and dad would join in such a trooper. He'd come for a run around the block with us. It was amazing. So we were actually training right through COVID. However, there was a time towards the end where training resumed and we were allowed to go back as a high performance center and train again. And that was a difficult time because we were, the Olympics are coming up. Do we like go back to training? Life is normal resume the goal of going to the Olympics and essentially spend less time at home and more try more time at the pool and at training, trying to chase the stream. Or do we spend those last crucial months at home, spending more time with family, making those lasting memories with dad. And it was a really hard thing to try and balance, but he would never let us stay at home and pick just sitting on the couch and watching shitty TV shows over going to training and like continuing to chase our dreams. So he was like very supportive right up until the end, basically, and always wanted Kaylee and I to just go out there, continue as life as normal. And in the end, I'm glad we did because it made things at home feel as though cancer wasn't the main focus of our family. A little bit of normality, hey? Yeah. And that's the advice I give to people who are going through the same thing. They're like, what did you do? Did you stop working? Did you stop life? Did you do everything to just spend time with your loved one. I'm like, to a degree, yes, you want to make those times special. But at the same time, we still were able to go out, um, go on the jet ski, go diving, go climb mountains, go swimming, and still try and keep that element of normality just so that I think for us that dad didn't feel like he was being a burden and keeping us at home or that, yeah, again, like cancer wasn't the focus of our entire lives. And like, they, my parents would travel the world and watch Kaylee and I swim. 2019 was their last trip overseas to watch Kaylee over in Korea doing the world championships. And so that was a really special thing for dad to see Kaylee get up on the podium at that world championships. That was amazing. And then prior to that, they came over to Rio in 2016 to watch the Rio de Janeiro Olympics. And that was like one of the best memories of my life, like seeing my dad and my mom in the grandstand, like full face paint, green and gold, just jumping up and down and having a great time. I wanted to ask a little bit about the cancer that your dad was diagnosed with. Could you explain it to our listeners what it is and in what part? So stage four, he had stage four, but what part of that, of his body did that affect? Yeah. Brain cancer is a funny one because it's not a simple procedure to just go in and cut cancer out of the brain. You do one thing wrong and you're blind, you can't talk, you're a vegetable. It's a very sensitive area of the body. And we knew the the doctors basically told us like, if you don't get this lump out of your head, ASAP, you're looking at two weeks to live. Like it was crucial. It was crunch time. So within two days, my parents were trying to find a good surgeon or a really good reliable doctor they flew down to Sydney to have appointments even speaking to people like Dr Charlie Teo which is he's quite renowned for doing brain surgeries and quite radical but in the end we ended up finding a doctor in Brisbane that did the surgery they were very happy with the end result they removed quite a large sum of the tumor but obviously the way I they described it to us is it's like a tree there's the trunk there's the mass and then there's all these little roots that go out and spread around And they did as much as they could to remove the trunk, but it's almost impossible to remove the roots. And that's where the chemotherapy came into play, the the radiation to try and kill off those last remaining cancer cells. But um, from having a grade four diagnosis in the beginning, we knew that 
eventually at some point it was going to become fatal. And for us at that time, it was just trying to hold on to glimmer of hope that like maybe we won't be a statistic and maybe that a miracle might happen or like we get four more years out of him. So we were just trying to get as much as possible and really helping dad through that journey. He experienced everything. He had a big scar behind his ear here with like multiple stitches from when they went and removed the tumor. Um, He was sick from radiation and chemotherapy, that kind of thing. Like the full picture of what people go through with cancer from like the hair loss to getting skinny to a color change he experienced. So we were with him going through that journey and we obviously noticed changes over time, but it was just part of it. It was basically what we had to do, what he had to do to try and prolong his lifespan as long as possible after that original diagnosis. And towards the end, because it is in the brain, it's hard to tell everyone's different like what it's going to affect the first thing we noticed was like he struggled to walk he would become a little bit disorientated I think the real tipping point for us was one night he so he was a little bit funny with a little bit wobbly when he was walking and was starting to rely a little bit more on like having a walking frame to help him and I think one night he got up and he forgot that he couldn't walk that and he's tried to go to the toilet and he actually fell over and hit his head against the wall in the process And because that gave him a mild concussion, all while he's still under the effects of all of these cancer drugs, he was very dizzy, disorientated, sick. So then they took him to the hospital and it was pretty much there that they were like, okay, at this stage, maybe you should look at having someone from Blue Care come around every day to check on him. So that was in a two-story house in Dickey Beach on the Sunshine Coast. So within a week, They sold that house and moved to a single story home within the Sunshine Coast region still to make life easier for mum because it was a smaller home. There wasn't a lot of gardens. It was easier to maintain, but also to make life easier for dad when he was in a bed or in a chair to be wheeled around the house. So he was probably in the, with a walking frame or in and out of a wheelchair for about six weeks six Mm -hmm. to eight weeks before he passed so yeah it was during that time we had him at home we had the full-on hospital bed in the home and every day a nurse would come over and check his vital signs and stuff but in the end it got to the point where it was like becoming too difficult for mum Kaylee and I to care for him so at that stage Mm -hmm. the nurses suggested that we move him into the palliative care unit and once we were there they were so lovely like I would praise the palliative care staff as much as possible they let us bring dogs in they let us bring in beers for dad to have and although they didn't like dad doing this he went outside and would smoke weed it was like medicinal for him it made him forget about what was going on oh it's like honestly nature's miracle drug it would make him feel really good he the pain from the tumor and the radiation and everything would just subside and we could just really see him like thrive. Like he'd, it'd be him. And obviously during that time, it created a lot of funny memories for us. I remember Kaylee and I sitting at a cafe one day and dad's high as a kite and he's sitting there, he's coming out with all of this funny stuff and we're just pissing ourselves laughing. And we finally get our coffees. I've got a little cookie and dad's downed his within five minutes because he's got the munchies so bad. And I'm biting into my cookie and I put it down to rest for two seconds and he grabs it and I'm like, oi. And he's like, what, you're not going to finish it. And then continues to finish my cookie for me. So it was just like hilarious seeing him like that, like just <laughs> totally loving it, forget 
what's going on and making those last kind of hilarious memories with Kaylee and I. A massive whirlwind journey, lots of highs, lots of lows. But yeah, we know now that like whatever we do, he's always with us. And I think that's a really nice way to think about every day. Although he's not physically here, we certainly feel his presence through other mechanisms. Absolutely. That I just had a massive giggle at that last bit. <laughs> Power of weed. <laughs> oh. Small weed every day. Small weed <laughs> every day. So basically <laughs> I've got a couple of questions, but my first one, yeah, I wanted to ask how did your mum handle all of that? Because that timeline that you just gave me is so rapid in terms of selling a two-story house. Yeah finding a new place, having to deal with moving all of that stuff. Dad goes into palliative yeah. care. That is just crazy. How was your mum during that time? Yeah, it's wild. I think mum is like one of the strongest people I've ever met because she would always break down behind closed doors. She didn't like people to know that she was like struggling or having a hard time. But I think subconsciously Kaylee and I knew, and I think a lot of her family friends and our family friends could see that as well. And we were just trying to be there and be as helpful as possible. But yeah, she was just a gun. She was like, the removal lists are coming at this time. Then at this time, we have to give dad this drug. Then at this time, the nurse is coming. She was so organized. And I think even like right up until the last couple of days in palliative care, I think she was like still thinking like, maybe we could get through this. And then it probably wasn't until the nurses said, okay, it's time to stop giving him fluids now because he actually can't swallow and it's just going to fill up his lungs that she really started to sink in for her that, okay, this is the end, like the end is coming. And then so the last three days where from where they start bumping up the morphine in that palliative care unit, that was, I think, the hardest point for mum. Like all of the stuff looking after him prior would would have been devastating because you're seeing your husband, the love of your life, slowly start to lose body function. And then, yeah, the last three days where they're essentially lying there and it almost just feels like the heart, the heart, the brain and the lungs are just doing their job as like a mammal trying to survive. We felt there was no spirit there. It was just like dad's body and his spirit was gone. Mm. And it's actually really, really funny. I don't know if you believe in like psychic mediums or anything, but we, I got recommended to go see this medium on the Gold Coast and her name's Felicity. She was amazing. She went, my mom is the biggest skeptic ever, but I went to see her. Mum went to see her and Kaylee went to see her all totally different separate occasions. And she said that when dad had passed away, that she described the room so clearly. I was like, oh my God, she's your mum was sitting here. Your dad's best mate, Michael was sitting here. She's like, when your dad actually did pass away, like his body stopped functioning, he was already gone. Like the spirit was gone. And he was actually standing behind your mum and your dad's best friend. And when I flash back to the day that he did pass away, like that's exactly how they were. And there's all of this other stuff that she said since that has made me believe like, holy shit, like he is actually here. There are things that happen that aren't just a coincidence. Like it actually means that he's here with us. And so it made, I think my mom feel at ease, my sister feel at ease and myself feel at ease after that, knowing that when someone passes away, it's not just like dead stop the end. They are still around. They see things that are happening. They're there with you in spirit. And the most incredible example of this was when Kaylee did her hundred meter backstroke world record in 2021 last year so it was like the Olympic trials to make the Olympic team 
And she'd been training. We all knew she was going to go fast. We didn't know she was going to go that fast. And <laughs> before her race, she, oh, it's crazy. Before her race, she said she stopped and she just sat back and let dad in a little bit. And then it was so noticeable in her race, usually towards the end, they start dying a little bit. The tempo of the strokes starts to die off and you can see the body position changes. The athlete gets fatigued, but it was almost like someone grabbed her and freaking pulled her to the finish line. And she said that at that stage of the race where she normally would feel that big sting, she felt the opposite. Like she was able to lift and finish really strong. And when she went to the medium said to her like your dad was totally there the whole way and the medium was like I almost can see him grabbing you by the tog straps and yanking you to that finish line and we were all like oh my god and it was almost like this euphoric feeling that Kaylee described that she was like I felt like someone was helping me and it was amazing and that's such an incredible skill and power to have she now takes that into every race that she does She just lets him in, sits back, lets the energy do its thing. And since then, she's not had a bad swim. Like she's been very consistent on top of her game just by simply acknowledging the fact that someone who is so strong is now on the other side to help her. I think it's just an incredible thing to have. And there's certainly been points in my life where I've been like, holy shit, like is someone behind me? And there's lots of different signs that they've spoken, that she's spoken to us that he's there through music, through smell, through lots of different avenues. And being able to pick that out now is actually really nice. Oh, hey, that, that's a sign that dad's here, that kind of thing. Did you, have you always believed in that, in a sense of that people come back to us in ways or come back to us in different ways or that there is an afterlife essentially? No, never. I'm very much atheist. I don't believe in a, like a, any kind of style of God. I study science at university and I love science all through high school. And science tells you that like from a micro microbiology perspective, once things start to break down and stop reproducing in your body, then you die. That's the end of it. Yep. You're in the ground. You go back to nature. You produce nutrients for the earth and the whole life cycle starts again. So I was, what the fuck, what have I got to lose? Let's go see this medium. Who cares? And I sat down and there were so many things she said, something about there was a particular day. Dad felt really special on this day. He loved the fact that we were making a big deal out of him. And I'm going back through the calendar. I'm like, there is nothing special about this date that this medium has mentioned phoned up mom and mom's oh that's the day that we went to plan the funeral we picked out the casket we picked what music we were going to play and I was like oh my god something we don't share with people we don't broadcast oh hey on the 17th we went and did all this to plan the funeral and the medium was like on the 17th your dad felt so special and it was like that just made me really realize that oh shit there is an afterlife there is a spirit and he is hanging around and he does do things every day that subconsciously we might not recognize but he is there and I think that's really nice yeah it's so beautiful I've just had goosebumps this whole time that you've been talking about that so I can't even imagine how you feel do you still talk to that lady oh I love her I love Felicity I've been back to see her like twice since and every time it just blows my mind the things that she knows her intuition and things that she says and it's weird because she sits in this little gypsy caravan and she stares out the door and it's like she's talking to dad through the door she'll say something and 
she'll go, oh, he's laughing at that. He thinks that's really good. And then she'll say, I do have to tell you that he says, for me in swimming last year, I was pretty much ready to quit. She goes, your dad's telling me to tell you that you're not done. Like you've got one more team to make and then you can retire. And then long behold, I made Commonwealth Games this year and retired and was quite happily retired. And yeah, weird how that happens, eh? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And at least, okay, dad's right. Dad's the word. Dad's got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. I'll listen to him. Honestly, the best dad we could ask for, like even from when Kaylee and I were younger, we'd be like, we want a water slide in the pool. And he'd literally knock one up within a week. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And uh, I wanted to ask with, without sounding insensitive, because a part of me wants to get across through this podcast that cancer happens to all of us. It doesn't matter whether you're healthy or unhealthy or whether you're incredibly fit or you've spent your entire life going to the gym every single day and yada, yada. It does whatever it fucking wants. So to anyone, yeah. And I wanted to touch on that. Like what was your dad like prior to cancer? Yeah. Yeah, so that's such a good point. And I have this like theory that like only good people seem to get cancer. Hey, like you never see someone who you might think actually deserves it that will get it. Yeah, I have this theory that you never see a bastard get cancer. Hey, it's always like a loved family member or someone who's done amazing things in the community or someone who's just been like a legend their whole life. It's only good people that get cancer and it's so unfair. Yeah, I have this theory that you never see a bastard get cancer. It's always good people, a loved one, a legend, a community person, someone who's really lovely, like the least deserving person that you think is going to get cancer will get it. And recently my mum's nephew got diagnosed with cancer and he's only four years old and he's got he's got blood cancer. So it's it doesn't matter how old you are, how good your lifestyle is, what your fitness routine is like. Obviously, there's certain things in life you can do to prevent it. We know that smoking is a huge cause of lung cancer, for example, or like staying out of the sun and not getting melanomas. But other things that you can't control, you can't control if someone's going to get brain cancer. You can't control if someone's going to get breast cancer. It will just hit anyone at any time. And I think you just got to really, it makes you appreciate how healthy you are. I might complain sometimes that my asthma is bad or that my eczema gets bad or that I have a headache from not drinking enough water. But those are all really simple things that I can live through. It's really nothing to complain about in the grand scheme of things of someone that has had cancer. Do you think your dad going through this, and I guess different family members now by the sounds of things, because your cousin and your grandpa have been through this, but knowing people and loving people and losing people to this illness, has it given you a different perspective on life? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It really annoys me when I now hear about people complaining about trivial things. Oh, like people complaining like, oh, my mom promised me that she'd get me like a Mercedes for my learner car, but I only got a Hyundai Getz. And it's like really small, trivial things. But yeah, it's like small, trivial things that aren't really worth complaining about. And it happens to me a lot. Someone will come to me with a problem. And I just think at the end of the day, if it's not life-threatening, it's not bloody worth freaking out about. 
it's not worth losing your marbles over something that isn't going to kill you. Like everything in the end is going to have a resolve unless it's life-threatening. Mm. It's not life-threatening. It's not going to end your life. Like cancer is life-ending for a lot of people. And it just makes you be more grateful for the things that you do have every day and the good lifestyle you have and the fact that you are still here, still present on this earth and you're not battling some sort of horrible illness. Yeah. This shit yeah. is minuscule in terms yeah. of what myself and what the other 200 people that are having chemo at the hospital are going through and let alone the millions of people that are having to go through that every day of their life. Yeah, 100%. And you're there and you're struggling through this sickness and you're going to the hospital and you're the one that's getting the chemo. You're the one that's getting the radiation treatment. And then you're the one that's having to deal with those effects, not only on the spot, but weeks later when you're still sick and you're still lymph, you're still low on energy and your lymph nodes are swollen and your body's doing everything possible. In the meantime, you just want to lie down and not have to deal with everyone's petty shit. Like it totally changes your perspective on life and makes you cut certain people out of your life makes you change as a person and become more grateful so there's as awful as cancer is I think sometimes it does teach you amazing life lessons and can really change people's perspectives yeah absolutely and I wanted to ask you a question about I like this question because I think it can help people there's lots of people listening to this podcast thus far which is really exciting because the aim of it is to help people and give people a resource in which they can relate to and you or I for example we'll have many different stories but did you have any particular coping mechanisms that helped you whilst you were going through this journey with your father Yeah that is a really good question because everyone has to have an outlet I think if you take all these emotions like your sadness your distress whatever you're feeling and you bottle it away because you're trying to be a strong figure you're just going to keep pushing these emotions into a cupboard and eventually one day that cupboard's going to get too full and it's going to explode and you're going to have some sort of terrible breakdown or you'll something's bad's going to happen I think it's important to have an outlet and I actually think that Kaylee and I were very lucky to be swimmers because we get a chance to go in the pool and just let all that anger out and have a rip and throw our bodies on the line and push ourselves to the absolute max. And by the end of the session, you're so physically exhausted. You've just let it all out, all of that emotion and everything's drained. And then you go home and you can relax. I think having some sort of physical outlet is really good, whether that be like getting on your bike and going for a ride or listening to music or doing some baking or like catching up with friends, having something there that is going to distract you from the chaos of going through a cancer diagnosis is so important for your mental health. Like I cannot stress that enough. And uh, it sounds, I guess when you or I say our coping mechanisms, as you said, baking's a good one. I never thought of that one, but (laughs) hanging out as friends as well. It sounds really simple, but that's because it can be simple and it can make such a huge difference. And as you mentioned, it can really pull you out of what can be a fucked state of mind. I'm sure you found this thing like when you had your friends and stuff come to visit you, it takes you away from what you're feeling inside, the sickness, the hurt and what you're going through and brings it back to something nice and lighthearted and enjoyable. Did you seek any mental health when you were any mental health assistance when you were going through your dad's diagnosis? Kaylee and I were given resources through Swimming Australia. They said any kind of 
psychology that you girls need, just let us know and we're going to provide that for you. So I think I like they are sports psychologists, but we also do have like life psychologists. And I'd seen a certain sports psychologist since I was 15 years old and I'm now 27. So I went back and I talked to her a couple of times. And the only reason I did that, I thought I was like, fine, I was going okay. But my partner was like, you need to go and talk to your psychologist because she's given you coping mechanisms to get through nerves on race day. She's given you coping mechanisms to get through your anxiety on race day. She for sure probably knows you better than anyone else. So go and talk to her and see what kind of skills she can give you to help mentally get through this. And we basically worked out that channeling everything into a physical exertion and swimming was going to be the best way to go forward. But we also recognized that Kaylee and I were really going to have to step up and be more helpful to mom as well like taking the load off her a little bit and that's pretty much the main reason I moved up from Gold Coast back to Sunny Coast to go and help with those simple things like baking like doing the washing taking the dogs for a walk keeping the house tidy mowing the lawn helping dad out with whatever he needed whether he needed assistance like getting into the shower or like just simple everyday tasks driving him to the hospital to have a new round of chemo or radiation treatment were things that we were able to do. So yeah, we just made the decision that if we needed to see a psychologist, we would. And I'm glad I did go and see her because yeah, she just said, you need to go up there. You need to look after yourself, do whatever you need to do to look after you, but also go and look after your dad. While I felt like I probably could have gone throughout this cancer journey with dad without seeing a professional psychologist, upon reflection, I'm really glad that I did. Yeah, absolutely. And the reason why I asked that question is because a lot of the time, like I've spoken to other people and I'm sure you have based on your dad's diagnosis. And at the start of the episode, you said that you guys have done a lot to help others. So I have no doubt in my mind that people would ask you, what is some advice? And I know personally that I say, if people feel as though they should see someone that they probably should, just because it is so hard. It's such a hard journey and especially for loved ones, I feel like coming from myself having cancer in the past, I know that it definitely fucked with my family a lot. Maybe so more so than me at times, just because I was like, fight, I've got to get through this. This is it. Yeah. 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 100%. I think when you're the person going through cancer, like that's you that's your thing that's your journey you know firsthand what the doctors are telling you you know what your processes are you've got to wake up in the morning you got to have this tablet you've got to stay away from this food group you've got to stay away from this and you've got it down pat you know what you've got to do to get through and stay strong and I think sometimes it's really hard for family members because they're what else can I do to help you and we're not in your minds. We don't know what you guys are thinking, if you're being positive, if you're being negative, if you're happy or if you're sad. So we've just got to put all of this effort out, like a strong front all of the time to be the best that we can be for that person going through that certain mm-hmm. journey or cancer diagnosis. You're the first <laughs> person that's mentioned marijuana in terms of the podcast. And I smoked weed during my diagnosis but it was illegal, I guess you could say. And also I was 17. So I was just doing whatever. But I remember reading an article when I was going through throughout my chemo journey and my diagnosis, which was over an 18 month span. And I remember reading that, reading a newspaper article about them considering bringing, I guess, legalizing marijuana. And that was 10 years ago. And 
Well, things have changed and I don't know if it necessarily is legal for some people still, but I know there are so many avenues that are really good now in terms of consuming it in like oil forms or edibles or so many different ways. And I just think it's really interesting and probably spot on for a lot of people that your dad did smoke weed to relax. And I just wanted to know, is that something that he always did or was it something that he acquired when he was sick or yeah. Yeah. That's, it's actually interesting that you say that no one else has talked about it because we have all of these doctor prescribed ways of coping with cancer, but it's so taboo that no one actually says, you know what, why don't you just go roll a fat joint and relax and forget about cancer for two hours. And it's just such a natural medicine. It blows my mind that it's not more readily available. Obviously now it is, you can go to the doctor, you can get a script and within two days, you've got a tube of little buds arriving on your doorstep. But yeah, dad did originally, he had smoked weed most of his life. Even from when I was a young kid, I remember going and finding a bong in the garage and being like, what's this? And pulling it apart (laughs) and like pulling the hose out. And then as I got older, I realized that dad just likes to smoke a little bit of weed sometimes. And then as he was diagnosed, I guess his friends really stood up and helped and would bring around some fresh weed for him. Dad was having CBD oil that he would put under his tongue. And even at one point, I think he was having it in like a capsule form. Lots of different ways he would do it. We like noticed massive changes and differences in him from towards the end because it was brain cancer. It would affect him in different ways. He'd get quite moody, quite snappy. He would yell. And when he had any kind of marijuana form, it would like just really soothe all of those angry emotions down. And we almost felt like we got the old Sholto back. Like, I don't see anything wrong with it. And I just think for people that are going through cancer, if they do have a terminal diagnosis, then what harm is it going to do? Like, just let them live their lives. Like, just if they want to try marijuana because it's going to be therapeutic or help them relax, then fucking go for it. Who cares? It shouldn't be illegal. Absolutely. And I couldn't agree with that more. So I, yeah, I find it interesting. I was living up in Cairns before I moved down here and there's quite a few dispensaries up there already, which is crazy. So I think it's happening. I was like, this is red hot. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) (laughs) So good. So classic cans, shenanigans really, but I think more effort and more research and more emphasis should be put on that avenue in terms of, as you said, relaxing people. And if they have a terminal illness, let them do whatever the fuck they want. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the really good thing about the palliative care that we were in. They were like, if you want to bring puppy dogs in here, bring the damn dogs in here. If you want to have a pack of Forex in the fridge, leave your pack of Forex in the fridge. We don't care. If you want to go out into the garden and smoke a freaking joint, go out in the garden and smoke a joint. Who cares? And it was just like the best thing because the last two weeks of life for dad, it was like he was on vacation. Yeah. Awesome. And that's how it should be really. Yeah. What the Exactly. This is a, probably a general question and you have touched on this, but Obviously, you're proud of your family and going through this journey, you'd be incredibly proud of yourselves. Is there a moment in time that you can pinpoint where like one of your proudest moments of you and your family throughout this journey? That's a really good question. I've never been asked that before. I can't specifically think of one time where I was like, 
oh, I've done really good here. But there was a couple of things I did that I noticed made a significant difference. It was like the first night where we were together as a family after he'd been diagnosed. And mum was like, well, if we wait in the public system, we can't get in for surgery for another month. And that just wasn't an option for us because we needed this brain surgery like ASAP. So we had to go private. And of course that costs like tens of thousands of dollars. Mum and dad were like, we don't have a, like a random like 15K to just throw for one night overnight surgery. So I like jumped on GoFundMe like straight away. And I was posting it on all socials, trying to get even if someone donated like $10, like obviously that was going to make a massive difference. So yeah, I just like a bunch of fundraising and everything that I got into the account, I was just transferring straight into my parents' account. And they were using that on medical costs, on hotel costs of staying in the city, flying down to Sydney to visit doctors and surgeons and that kind of thing. So I know that financially from that perspective, I did help out as much as I could. And I know in the end that made a massive difference because it allowed them to travel around and get different doctors perspectives and then other than that just like being there and making things lighthearted, still having a joke with dad and yeah like mucking around with him and in those last few weeks so just being that kind of natural outgoing energy that I am I'm always trying to think of other ways that I can help other than just being there so yeah the fundraising was a big one that's huge that's enormous yeah. And then like we did, a, I don't know if I mentioned earlier, we did like a fundraising night with Mark Hughes and part of that was gathering things to go on auction. So I was contacting like the Brisbane Broncos, the Melbourne Storm, we got stuff from Optus because Optus are a sponsor of the athletics and stuff. So we got like a running spiky boot from Usain Bolt that had been signed. We got like, I contacted Mercedes and we got like a little kid's car to put out for auction. So we were just going out trying to get things that people might want to bid on. And yeah, ended up making $12,500 just in that alone, awesome. um, which was amazing. Yeah. That's so cool, Usain Bolt. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> so random. <laughs> so random, but so, yeah, worth it. I was going to say, mm. is there, in terms of, I guess, going forward, what are you going to do as an individual to help other people with cancer? I think, honestly, what you're doing is amazing and I'll always open my heart and open my mouth to people that want to hear it and accept it. Kaylee and I have done another podcast with someone else it was to do with more like your ability though this particular person is a quadriplegic in a wheelchair after an accident in a pool and now his story is about people that have gone through life-changing physical events where they might have become disabled or lost their hearing or had someone fall into cancer and he gets them on and we share our story and our little tips for survival along the way so Kaylee and I are always talking to people. If I see that a friend of a friend is doing some sort of fundraiser, I'm grabbing that link straight away and I'm posting it. And I'm like, please, like, even if you can spare $5, I know how difficult and expensive this cancer journey is. We just need a fundraise. I will donate myself. Kaylee and I have signed our Australian team uniforms before and put them up for auction. Our Australian team caps, one of our swimming caps, we both signed from the Commonwealth Games this year and that fetched $550. And we were like, great, we can get, we're chucking straight towards somebody else's cancer journey. Yeah. Um, because now that we know how difficult it is, we know how important it is to give those people those vital funds so they can have the confidence to get through the journey. Absolutely. And I'm not trying to cut your friend's grasp, but do you have any massive survival tips that 
you could give us that you referred to in that other podcast? The biggest survival tip in terms of keeping an overall family health is just being that shining light for someone. Like I'm not the person going through the cancer journey. So the least I can do is come into the house with a good attitude, lighthearted, not moping around the place, thinking about all of the negative things that are happening, always thinking about the process, what we've got to do next and being that that joker and that fun and that helpful attitude person for the person that is going through that cancer journey. If you have the ability to turn a negative into a positive, then do it. Like be that shining light for someone else. Not everyone, obviously some people are, they're wired different. They're probably going to take cancer as like a massive toll and they might be that person that's moping around the house. But if you are someone listening and you see that person being affected or someone who's being affected, message them, hey, are you okay? Can I take you out for coffee? Do you want to go bowling? Something as simple as getting them out and involved in something else can make a world of difference in their eyes. So just do what you can. Absolutely. And how is your relative going, the four-year-old? Is he okay? He started chemo and radiation about four or five weeks ago now. And that family, they were based up in Gympie, the like Fraser Coast in Queensland. And all of the treatment is down here in Brisbane. So both parents have totally had to stop their teaching jobs, move down to Brisbane, get the grandparents in to help babysit the other kids so they can be here with their youngest to help him through his cancer journey. And it's just so devastating to me that a child who is four years old, who's barely stepped foot on this earth yet, is now going through a battle before their life has even begun. And so... He's responded well to treatment, but it is like a, such a tough journey ahead. Hey, like he's going to have to really do his best. The family's going to have to do their best and they're going to have to stick to their routine of treatment like never before to get him through. But yeah, like we're from afar, we're doing everything we can in terms of fundraising. Every like cent I've been getting, I've just been putting straight into their accounts. People like the Ronald McDonald House Charity have been putting them up in accommodation, which I think is such a fantastic charity. So From an outsider, we're just doing all we can and supporting them on their journey. And I'd love to be more involved in that one day. Like I've seen other swimmers do it. They go into the hospital, they bring all of their shiny, cool medals and the kids, oh my God, that's so cool. (laughs) And yeah, they have the clowns that go in, the face painters, the entertainers. And I just think that's such an amazing thing to be a part of. And if there's anything extra I can do, I feel like that is my calling. But I want to know... In summary, where are you at now? What are you doing? What are you up to? Because you've got quite an impressive list of jobs, if I do say so myself. And the things that you do get up to, I've been having a squeeze and they look really interesting. So what are you up to at the moment? Yeah, ever since dad passed, we went back to training. And I remember one thing that the psychic medium said to me was that your dad's telling me to tell you that you're not done. You think you're done, but you're not done. I was like, shit, I'm not done. So I went back to training, pulled my finger out, stepped it up a level and came back and made the Commonwealth Games team this year. So I headed overseas for like a month to train and compete. And I knew that was going to be my last competition because the body was saying, stop, too many injuries. You're sick. You're tired all the time. This is it. I knew I could retire on a high having finished up at my third Commonwealth Games. So I did that. That was amazing. Post-retirement, I came back to Australia after an amazing holiday overseas. And I knew that this was my time now to put all of my extra focus and passion 
into free diving and getting people out in the ocean. So I've been running a lot of free diving courses most weekends, which has been incredible. I love when people find that spark and they're in the ocean and they're like, whoa, this is so cool. I've never seen this stuff before. Next thing they want to go again and they want to see a different animal or experience something different. To me, that's amazing. I love connecting people back to the ocean. And then I'm just coaching now at Griffith University. So taking my skills and experience in swimming and using that to help bump up the next generation. That's basically me. Uh, if I get the call up, I'll go around to some schools and do what's called an Olympics Unleashed presentations. We go out and we call it like the Olympic spirit presentation. We teach them how to goal set. We show them what it's like to go to the Olympics, some cool behind the scenes footage that they might not get to see on TV and get them thinking about the things that they want to do in their lives and how they can take steps and what goals they want to tick off along the way to getting there no matter what it is, it doesn't even have to be sport related, but that's just the beauty of the program. So yeah, I'm in a position now where I'm like a senior athlete. I can go back and share that experience with the up and comers and just give our country the best chance at creating that next wave of champions. Absolutely. And this is the radio announcer coming out in me, not the podcast announcer. <laughs> but what is, <laughs> what is your favorite experience to do with swimming? Oh, that is such a good question. My favorite part of the swimming career is that point where you've done the massive block of training. Like we could have eight weeks of high intensity training and then we taper it right back so that by the time competition comes around, we're feeling really fresh. We're feeling really energetic. And my favorite time was always seeing the swimmers who were tired and fatigued all of the time, snap out of it, come into training for the last week. The spirits are high. Everyone's having a giggle. Before we go to race, we travel into competition. And because everyone's on such high spirits, everyone's swimming well. And it was amazing to watch your squad mates and your teammates achieving like their best times ever or making a final or getting on podium as well as you swimming well. I love the feeling of putting in hard work, getting up on race day, smashing it and seeing the number one next to my name on the scoreboard or a personal best time or qualifying for the Olympics or whatever it might have been like the work and reward was such an incredible part of swimming. And I think that's something that I'm going to be chasing for the rest of my life and not quite be able to get, but I'm very fortunate to have had been able to experience that. 